Welcome back to the United Pubcast, and for the first time in over a decade, probably around 12 years, Manchester United do have a new goalkeeper. David De Gea's reign at Manchester United has come to an end, and we did get the official here we go from Fabrizio Romano around Andre Onana. By the time you listen to this, hopefully there is an official announcement by the club, but we know that can take some time um, these days. So we'll have a look at a little bit of Onana and um, the goalkeeping situation around Manchester United, but I thought maybe just a good opportunity just to look back at the sort of, especially the Premier League era of our Manchester United goalkeepers and the story that it does tell because we've been so familiar and so comfortable with David De Gea over the years, but um, we have had a long and illustrious sort of ride um, supporting Manchester United goalkeepers over the years, and we're definitely going to get that with Andre Onana. So I thought, just take a step back and just sort of have a little bit of a look back at sort of the main goalkeepers and their time at Old Trafford during the Premier League era and sort of how they do weigh up, because we do hope Andre Onana is going to become a club legend. But um, we do have three club legends as um, goalkeepers um, previously throughout the Manchester United Premier League era. So um, do let us know what you think of all these goalkeepers, the ups and downs. There's plenty of downs, but um, we obviously have three extreme highs as well. So um, do let us know your thoughts on all things Manchester United goalkeepers and obviously the future one, Andre Onana, definitely. No surprises as to who is the first one off the rank in, obviously, Peter Schmeichel. Now, Peter Schmeichel obviously did come in before the Premier League did start. He came in in the old first division in that 91-92 season. But when you mention Manchester United goalkeepers, he pretty much is the first one that comes to mind, no doubt. And I think why that is in terms of that big green wall, in terms of such a physical presence, which is an important part for a goalkeeper, regardless of one's ability. If you look big in the goals and if you're an imposing presence um, inside in between the sticks, um, there's no doubt that that is the first sign of a good goalkeeper and can somewhat strike somewhat fear into the opposing striker. So well, I think when you do remember great goalkeepers for Manchester United, just naturally, um, you do re- um, remember and recognise Peter Schmeichel. But, but not only that, in regards to the, sort of the physical appearance and the physical makeup of the man, um, his ability as a goalkeeper was second to none, and what he achieved as a Manchester United goalkeeper, second to none. I think when you're weighing up who's Manchester United's greatest goalkeeper, it'll obviously split opinion among some people in different generations. But I think ultimately, you'd say the majority would probably fall on Peter Schmeichel now. Is that down to what he did win? Obviously, part of the sort of Premier, all those Premier League title wins, and obviously the most famous treble in his last appearance in Manchester United. I definitely wouldn't argue with anyone who does have Peter Schmeichel top of that list. I don't know personally who I have top of the list. It's one of the three. But then obviously you could throw Alex, Alex Stepney in there, of course. But in regards to the Premier League era, you weigh up David De Gea, Edwin van der Sar and Peter Schmeichel. I think, and this is just my opinion, my hunch is that the majority of people would side with Peter Schmeichel being our greatest ever goalkeeper. Now, no, I don't disagree or agree with that, but um, I think that is sort of where the sort of common consensus is. But yeah, what what achievement he sort of first choice goalkeeper like? Can you name the second choice goalkeepers through Manchester United's um, era with Peter Schmeichel in there? It's one of those things. He was always first choice. It was never a case of okay, he was out for six weeks with injury or um, he was dropped for poor form. He was always number one. You don't know who the number twos were there. Obviously, do have sort of Raymond Van der Hauk, um Who was the other one in terms of obviously Raymond Van der Hal? We did have there, but you're looking at other goalkeepers such as um, Gary Walsh, uh, Kevin Pilkington. Um, I think Raven van der Hauw came in around 96, 97. So in terms of being able to hold that spot down for Manchester United um, for that long, and not, not only that long, we've seen David De Gea hold the spot down that long 
but without success, and that's not through any fault of David De Gea, but Peter Schmeichel has held that reign for so long, performing and winning trophies, and I think that does hold huge weight in regards to sort of weighing up Peter Schmeichel's legacy. So it's an amazing achievement. How long did he stay at Manchester United? He would have come in before the Premier League season in 91-92. So then obviously all the way through to the treble winning season. So so that decade of being Manchester United's goalkeeper in one of our, if not our most successful ever period. Um, what a career um, in regards to, as I said at the start, you do remember if you are to put a 1-11 of, your, of Manchester United, sort of a best ever 11, I think most people do have Peter Schmeichel and who am I to argue? So... Um, Hopefully, fingers crossed, we're having a similar discussion around Andre Onana um, in five, ten years' time. That'll be so. If he is in that discussion, it'll be some feat, and that means we are extremely successful. And Onana has done well himself, but um, Peter Schmeichel, for me, um, no arguments. If anyone has him as Manchester United's greatest ever goalkeeper, and replacing Peter Schmeichel was always going to be hard. We're going to have this discussion now around Onana replacing David De Gea. And the challenges that bring, but sort of replacing Peter Schmeichel was a thankless task. I think whoever was going to come in was um, unfortunately always going to sort of find it difficult to live up to those standards. And um, weirdly enough, it's a good friend of the pubcast. It's amazing in terms of where this pubcast started to know that we actually have a relationship and a friendship with a former Manchester United goalkeeper. Obviously, no surprise the replacement was Mark Bosnich. Um, good friend of ours, and we look at that now, and look the the interesting thing around Mark Bosnich and sort of your way up to the sort of history and sort of fun facts over the years. The only place Alex Ferguson signed twice. Obviously, Sir Alex Ferguson did bring him over um, in the late eighties. Was around eighty nine, um, the nineteen eighty nine season, nineteen ninety season. Into the youth setup, did make one or two appearances before the Premier League um, era did start. Then, obviously, I think he came back to Australia. Then he obviously went and sort of forged a career at Aston Villa. But then, uh, obviously, after Peter Schmeichel left, after that treble, uh, Mark Bosnich did come back in. And throughout his time at Aston Villa, was arguably one of the best goalkeepers in the league. So, no surprise that um, Sir Alex Ferguson, in regards to ability and traits, went back in for Mark Bosnich and brought him in to replace um, Peter Schmeichel. And uh, look, in terms of you weighing up what he achieved in that season, um, Mark Bosnich went to win the Premier League title. Now, Manchester United were, were far superior to anyone that season, so I think you could have um, myself or Larry in goals and we'd probably win the um, Premier League season that year. But um, ultimately, he's a Premier League winner. So ultimately, a lot of people look back at Mark Bosnich's time at Manchester United and say, OK, that was a failure, that was a flop. He could sit back with his Premier League winner's medal and say, I had a, like, a full season there. Now, he obviously missed pretty much half the games um, through injury, which ultimately probably did prove... Um, costly in regards to his time at United, but he won a Premier League winner's medal, um, and, and he can sort of sit back with that at the end of his career, um, no doubt. But um, ultimately, in terms of sort of living up to the expectations Peter Schmeichel did set, and the standards, the standards that Sir Alex and sort of everyone had around the club at the time, um, no matter how good Mark Bosnich did or didn't do, it was always going to be extremely hard to live up to the standards. And he obviously um, did find himself out of favour and then moved on um, when the next goalkeeper in Fabian Bartes did come in. But um, he obviously then went on to Chelsea. Did, he obviously did not go well at Chelsea for many different reasons. And then the career obviously did peter out. But um, ultimately, he does have a Premier League winner's medal. Um, the only player Sir Alex Ferguson did sign twice. Now, it didn't end on great terms with Sir Alex Ferguson, no doubt. But um, we here as a pub cast and all our listeners, and especially Larry and I, a privilege to um, know Mark personally now, and um, yeah, it's sort of a, 
a bit of a pinch yourself moment that um, Mark Bosnich has been on the podcast and um, a friend of us and everyone in the supporters club. So, um, yeah, didn't quite work out for Manchester United in regards to longevity, but ultimately Premier League winner's medal from Australia. Uh, congratulations. Definitely goes out to Bozza. And as I mentioned, his replacement, Fabian Bartes, uh, World Cup winner with France, came in with, with such pedigree. And look, I, I like Fabian Bartes, and look, this ties nicely into the Andre Onana discussion because I think everyone is sharing the excitement around Onana and how he's going to transform the way we play and how we be extremely exciting watching this ball-playing goalkeeper sort of come out and take risks. If anyone was around in the early 2000s and watched Fabian Bartes, we have been through this before, and my God, it was a ride. <laughs> he was absolutely brilliant at times, and sometimes the opposition's best player. I remember those games against Arsenal and Deportivo La Coruña, who's obviously one for the cameras, Fabian Bartes. But look, ultimately, it was sort of a, quite a successful time at Manchester United. But again, you kept, unfortunately and maybe wrong at times sort of compare it all the way back to Peter Schmeichel and said, did, did he live up to those standards? Probably, probably not. And that's obviously what cost him his time at Manchester United. But you, you look at the pedigree in terms of this is why the Manchester United goalkeeping position is so difficult because he's a French World Cup winner, so he's done it on the biggest stage. He's obviously world-class ability. But then when one or two sort of mistakes sort of weigh on your shoulders and you have the, the weight of the Manchester United shirt, can you recover and can you perform to the to the standards required and it is extremely difficult even for the best which Fabian Bartes was but um, for anyone who does sort of remember looking back at his time like yeah he's a bit of a favourite of mine but that's as a kid you, you love that flair you love that excitement sort of thing now um, as you sort of mature and you get a little bit older you, you sort of see the risk that he took and you think absolutely it's not worth it and maybe sort of that did sort of factor in Sir Alex Ferguson's decision to move him on but um, Fabian Bartes what, what a what, what a character he was as well so one of those players as well you sort of look back on a bit of a throwback Everyone having their energy drinks and massages at halftime. Fabian Bartes was in the bathroom having a cigarette at halftime. And it was a bit of a throwback. And maybe, again, little things like that maybe sort of caught Sir Alex Ferguson off guard. But um, if you're performing, it doesn't matter. And ultimately, it did win Premier League titles. Now, obviously, came short in Europe. And we do remember those games against La Coruña. But ultimately, I did like Fabian Bartes. But again, um, we do obviously have sort of we always compare plays back to the standards and can we reach those and you do compare it to Peter Schmeichel we'll get into Edwin van der Sar who sort of took that mantle but you compare it back to Peter Schmeichel and um, he didn't quite live up to it but I liked Fabian Bartes um, great goalkeeper but just um, yeah not quite suited for Manchester United at that time but then he could sit back and say look I won Premier League titles so who am I to argue with that but um, I liked him um, it was best to move on but as we, as we've seen well with the names that did come in could we have kept Fabian Bartes a little bit longer because it was a bit of a merry-go-round after that trying to find the answer and we never really did until Edwin did come along but uh, as you're going to mention by the these names are going to bring up now um, we didn't find that answer so do let us know your thoughts do we get rid of Fabian Bartes um, a little bit too soon and obviously that replacement for Fabian Bartes was the American goalkeeper Tim Howard who, who ended up having a sort of very good career in England it just it never hit the ground running at Manchester United no doubt in terms of he was a completely unknown player now I'm sure some people did know who he was but us supporting Manchester United wouldn't have known who this American goalkeeper was and he came in I think his first game might have been the Community Shield at the Millennium Stadium against Arsenal um, it, was, it was a penalty, yeah, Wendell penalty shootout I do believe and I think he did save I forget who the save was from but um, I remember we won that Community Shield and Tim Howard was a little bit of, oh, he's a, he's a guy who saved a penalty in a shootout. He's got to be the next goalkeeper. This is brilliant. Now, the way sort of that season in terms of that, there was Arsenal's invincible season as well. We're always unfortunately going to be sort of looking at what they're achieving and sort of sort of criticising our own backyard, no doubt. And obviously the goalkeeper 
is always going to take a lot of the brunt of that. So Tim Howard, unfortunately, found himself in a very tricky position in regards to our fans, what we were dealing with at the time, both at Manchester United and what we'll see from other clubs. And um, you know, as I said at the start in regards to the first image that comes to your mind when you think of Manchester United goalkeepers, you think of the big green shirt and Peter Schmeichel. When you think of Tim Howard, it's clear. It's that poor toe mistake. And I always find that fascinating in regards to the butterfly effect and what that mistake had in that Champions League match against Porto. If that doesn't go in, if he saves that or he puts that around the post for a corner and we go on to win that match and we qualify, Jose Mourinho doesn't run down the touchline. Does Jose Mourinho, he obviously doesn't win the Champions League then, so does he get not get the Chelsea job? What happens to Chelsea? I think that mistake by Tim, Tim Howard, this is not to pin everything on him, but it changed the face of football. It, it, it clearly did. Like if, if that doesn't happen, it's simple. Jose Mourinho does not run down the touchline. Jose Mourinho doesn't win the Champions League with Porto. He doesn't get the Chelsea job. Chelsea changed the face of the game in this country. And I just think it's fascinating. It comes down, if Tim Howard caught the ball, what would have happened? Would we have gone on to win the Champions League that season as well? Who knows? So um, I feel for Tim Howard. I think he, he did quite well for Manchester United. But in terms of... You have to be a special goalkeeper to um, to do that. He obviously had a very good career in England, but um, you need more than that to be a very good goalkeeper at Manchester United. Um, so fair play to him for his career at Everton. But um, Manchester United, after that mistake, simply, he was never going to recover from there. And unfortunately, then you like, I say unfortunately, but he was sort of in and out of the team then, off the back of one of the two sort of high-profile errors. And the next goalkeeper in was Roy Carroll, who was the substitute goalkeeper there, but sort of found himself first choice at times. And again, I talk about remembering images of a goalkeeper. So Tim Howard's Porto, Peter Schmeichel is that big green shirt. Roy Carroll is that one at Old Trafford where the Tottenham player was at Pedro Mendes. I forget the name, I might be getting that incorrect, but long hair used to play for Rangers and Tottenham, hit that ball from halfway up in the air. And as soon as the ball went up in the air, he thought, oh my God, this is a chance. And not through a chance if it was a great shot or anything, you just thought, oh, hang on, with Roy Carroll and goal, anything could happen. And the ball's coming down, it's coming down. And still to this day, I don't know what Roy Carroll was doing, why he just didn't let the ball bounce and just collect it on the second or third bounce was a bit beyond me. But he's tried to catch it on his chest and it's gone over the line by about two metres. He's scurried the ball out and then the the linesman, obviously 30 metres behind play, um, was unable to see it. And obviously back then in the early 2000s, anything from um, sort of video technology and VAR. So he did escape. And I think it was very late in the game, maybe 88th, 89th minute, which obviously would have lost the match at home to Tottenham and losing to Tottenham then was almost unheard of. Definitely not the team they are now. And um, yeah, very interesting. That's the overriding image you do have of Roy Carroll, that horrendous mistake. Now, he obviously did come back and sort of played quite a few appearances for Manchester. And I was very good. But um, I say very good, but was solid enough for what he was supposed to be, a backup goalkeeper. But um, throughout that era as well, I talk about Arsenal as invincibles. I talk about the arrival of Chelsea. Um, our goalkeeper solution, our goalkeeper situation just was not great. And we did need, I wouldn't say we're blaming it on the goalkeeper, but um, you always sort of pick flaws in terms of taking frustration out on sort of Arsenal were so good, Chelsea were so good, we weren't as good. Okay, our goalkeeper's not Peter Schmeichel, let's blame, let's blame the goalkeeper. And he's um, an unfortunate sort of sort of target to beat with, as was Tim Howard. But um, for what they were, I thought good goalkeepers, just as as said, for Manchester United, simply not good enough. So then you look at it after Carroll, after Tim Howard, after Bosnich, after Fabian Barthez. Peter Schmeichel did leave 
um, during the 1999 season, and it took until 2005 to find his replacement. It was Edwin van der Sar, and it was one of those ones in terms of, we talk about scouts now in terms of go find the next superstar, go find the best player for the best price. Sometimes, And that is the correct sort of approach many times, but also the correct approach is just go and find who's the best. And if you look at Edwin van der Sar and sort of what he did achieve at Ajax and Juventus, he was a household name. Now, obviously, I think he was at Fulham for three or four seasons as well in the Premier League, which was a huge coup for Fulham at the time in regards to getting a Champions League winning goalkeeper and an international goalkeeper. Fulham were only newly promoted at the time. And, um, yeah, the, the obvious answer, go get Edwin van der Sar. He's a, he's a proven goalkeeper. He's done it at the highest level and he can deal with the weight of the Manchester United shirt. And um, obviously came in, as I said, in a tricky spot in regards to Chelsea was so dominant. So no matter how good we were, we're never quite going to win the title. And so obviously if you're not winning the title, who's to blame? Sometimes you look at the goalkeeper, is he good enough? So he came in and I think he played all, all, all the games in that season. I think he played all 38 Premier League games that season. But obviously Chelsea were the most successful club at the time. And... Um, so maybe one or two questions, but then ultimately everything changed at the other end of the pitch in regards to the Rooney-Ronaldo combination. And then we went on to win three Premier League titles in a row, including the Champions League. And obviously we do know the importance Edwin van der Sar played in those three Premier League titles in terms of it was a huge defensive record in one of them, but also um, the most famous, um, the penalty save, which... Um, goes down in history for Manchester United fans from Nicholas Anelka. Not only the Nicholas Anelka one, but the image of him sort of getting up after John Terry slipped. Um, yeah, you, you do look at us, talk about the sort of overriding images of these goalkeepers. The one for us is clearly an iconic image um, for Manchester United. Well, there's actually one or two in regards to the actual penalty save or him with his hand up when John Terry's on the floor. Just that night in Moscow, having that goalkeeper in Edwin van der Sar. Um, and you do have to sort of weigh in the defence as well in regards to we obviously had Wes Brown, Gary Neville, Ferdinand Vidic, Patrice Evra, etc. Obviously extremely sort of solid defence around him. But um, whenever he had something to do, Edwin van der Sar obviously did it to the, the highest abilities. One or two clangers. Um, I do remember one, and it might not have been his fault, to be honest. I do remember a horror one away at Fratton Park at Portsmouth, him and Rio Ferdinand getting in a bit of a, a confusion. Um, it was probably Rio Ferdinand's fault, to be honest. But um, from my memory, but um, Edwin van der Sar, from when he came into when he left, obviously left with the Premier League title as well. Um, absolutely brilliant. And um, it, it's unfortunate to see he's going through one or two health scares at the moment. Um, we've obviously seen in the news. Um, it does look like he's potentially on the mend, which is great news. But um, that always hits you a little bit emotionally. You don't think to think of someone like that and sort of the health we're talking about, the job he's doing at Ajax. And well, actually, we'll take him at Manchester United. Then suddenly you wake up one morning and see he's in a very serious condition in hospital. And you, you realise how much you sort of care for these players and care for these people. But um, looking back at his, so fingers crossed, all is well with him, which I'm sure it will be. But looking back at his time at Manchester United, as I said, I don't know where I stand in regards to ranking these goalkeepers, but some people have Edwin van der Sar, some people have Schmeichel. I wouldn't argue with either because in terms of what they achieved um, and their longevity they gave for Manchester United and the, the standards they set, um, yeah, what a goalkeeper. and An absolute true legend of the club, in my opinion. The only downside, I would say, I wouldn't say downside, but the only sort of question around the Edwin van der Sar period of time was his age, and he's obviously coming to an end. So there was always a succession plan into, okay, what's next in terms of who's going to replace Edwin van der Sar? This can't go on for forever. 
there was those sort of one or two keepers. Obviously, Thomas Kushak came in. Obviously, he's, he's never going to be your first choice goalkeeper, but a solid Premier League goalkeeper came in. Sort of did well enough when called upon, but was never going to be the answer to Edwin Van der Sar. And I think the sort of the one thing around Thomas Kushak, you sort of you dreaded spelling his name in the old days, of sort of writing in your forums or whatever. Uh, it was an absolute nightmare to spell Thomas Kushak. But um, it was the other goalkeeper. Obviously, um, Ben Foster came in. I believe he came in from Watford, I think, into the into the youth setup and then sort of bounced around on loan at times. But Ben Foster sort of came in and did get the nod a little bit uh, at times in regards to, okay, he's, the ne- he's sort of going to be the understudy and he'll play in one or two sort of big games. Edwin van der Sar picked up one or two injuries as well towards the end of his time. And I think we do remember Ben Foster from a bit of a clangor in the Manchester derby where Carlos Tevez sort of pinched the ball off and we obviously did get that match sort of saved by Michael Owen at the end in that 4-3 win. But Ben Foster did, did have a bit of a sort of chance to, to make himself Manchester United's number one. I do remember he got the nod in the Carling Cup final at Wembley against Tottenham and, and saved a penalty from him. I think it was Jamie O'Hara he saved a penalty from. So ultimately he can look back at his career at Manchester United and say he pretty much single-handedly won us a trophy in regards to that penalty shootout. So I do look back at Ben Foster and think, good at Manchester United. Just didn't quite take his opportunity in terms of what he probably would have hoped and what Alex Ferguson would have hoped. Um, or it was a little bit of a tough ask to sort of reach those heights Edwin van der Sar was setting. But Ben Foster, yeah, you look back at his sort of time at United, he's very close to being that goalkeeper. Then it did come a decision in regards to, okay, Edwin van der Sar has left the club now. Is it Ben Foster? Or are you going to go and address the issue in the transfer market? And Sir Alex Ferguson definitely did that in regards to in the 11-12 season, going out and spending big money on the sort of unknown quantity of David De Gea. And um, you'd have to say the rest is history. And in saying history, David De Gea um, is part of Manchester United's history now. He's no longer the Manchester United goalkeeper. That spot goes to Andre Onana. And I think when we do look back at David De Gea's time, it's very emotional at the moment in regards to sort of some of his performances and, and what Manchester United needs going forwards you know, in regards to achieving results. So I think... In terms of some of the criticisms, some of the harsh words around the David De Gea situation over the past year or two, um, I think will ease over time. Now, it's obviously had nothing but respect from me, but in terms of some of the treatment he's got, especially especially from the club as well, um, I think will ease over time and we'll definitely look back at him as a Manchester United legend. Now, some people say club hero, club legend, obviously that for, that's for interpretation. Um he probably does go, in my opinion, he does go into the discussion around Peter Schmeichel and Edwin van der Sar. Now, I do have him probably at the bottom of that. However, what I would say, and that's nothing to sneeze at if you're the third best goalkeeper for Manchester United, but what I would say, if his performances came in a successful period, in, if they came in the early 90s or they came in the mid-2000s, in regards to what we have seen from goalkeeping ability, I think he would be above Peter Schmeichel and Edwin van der Sar. I think in some of the moments he gave us, some of the saves, some of the times you saw a play in on goal or the other team have a shot, you think, oh, it's a goal. What can you do? And then David De Gea pulls it out of the top corner. I just think the excitement he gave you in terms of those moments, I think... Yeah, if they came off the back of three or four Premier League trophies, one or two Champions Leagues, I think he would be placed above Peter Schmeichel and Edwin van der Sar. Now, ultimately, a huge part of someone's legacy is what they win. Unfortunately, David De Gea simply did not have that when you compare it to what Edwin van der Sar and Peter Schmeichel did have. But you go back to what Peter Schmeichel had. He had Yap Stam, Ronnie Johnson, Gary Pallister, Steve Bruce. You look what Edwin van der Sar had in Rio Ferdinand, Emmanuel Vidic, Patrice Evra and what David De Gea has had to deal with in regards to Phil Jones, Chris Smallin, Marcus Rojo, Harry Maguire, Eric Bay. It's been extremely hard for David De Gea in terms of what's been in front of him. So that's ultimately going to let him down in regards to that legacy debate. But um, I'll go back and I've got his um, page up here in regards 
guys are David De Gea. You, you look at what he's won individually. Now, ultimately, it is a team game, and we'll remember what the team wins. But in a dark period for Manchester, not a very dark period in terms of that last 10 years, or he's been here 12 years now, but from when Sir Alex Ferguson did leave, he's won the Golden Glove twice. Um, he's won the Premier League Player of the Month once, which is obviously a rare thing for a goalkeeper to actually win the Premier League Player of the Month. One saves of the month, but he's got in the team of the year in 12, 13, 14, 15, 15, 16, 16, 17, 17, 18. So if anyone wants to go back and say he was never really that good, simply he was. He was he was unreal for a free a large amount of time. Unfortunately, that came in such a sort of down period for Manchester United. But um, it was unbelievable. When you look at his player of the seasons as well for Manchester United in 13, 14, 14, 15, 15, 16, 17, 18, and the players player in so many years as well. And um, it's, it's always a great recognition and sort of great barometer in terms of if the players are voting you for that as well. So look, the David De Gea situation, I think, was a brilliant goalkeeper. It's funny now that his time has come to an end because of his ball playing ability and the lack of ability he can sort of have um, with the ball at his feet playing out from the back. When he came in, that was a huge strength of his. He was the best ball-playing goalkeeper in the league. And it's funny how the game sort of naturally evolves and changes in that decade. Um, sort of, it has come full circle. But um, in saying that, as good as he was for Manchester United, there is no hiding from that. Um, I think he was the best goalkeeper in the world for a few years there. It did come time for a change. Um, there's no doubt about that. It has become stale. The, the fans, the media and everything was on his back and that started to weigh a little bit. And ultimately that sort of did affect his performances and the performance definitely weren't up to the standards that he had set and that he had matched that Edwin van der Sar and Peter Schmeichel had put in place for him. Um, David De Gea did reach those, but um, started to fade and the moment they do start to fade, um, you do need to address the situation and move on, especially in regards to, as I said, in terms of the ability and traits Eric Ten Hag wants to move forward with the goalkeeping situation. Um, David De Gea is not going to provide that. There's no doubt about that. So I did think there was bigger priorities. I still think a striker is a bigger priority than the goalkeeper, but there's no doubt in that um, a new goalkeeper in terms of playing the ball out from the back and being comfortable with the ball is going to transform that, that first phase of play. Now, what, what happens when we get the ball up to that number nine? That's another debate. But ultimately, if you want, are going to start from the back, Eric Ten Hag did need to address this goalkeeping situation. No doubt about that. So David De Gea, for me, club legend. Um, I'm not happy with the way he left the club in regards to the treatment from fans and the club, but it is what it is. And um, look, I wish nothing but the best from David De Gea, um, an unreal goalkeeper. And not often you have moments or memories of a goalkeeper, especially as Manchester United, when sort of we look back at success, it's all at the other end of the pitch. The last decade, I look back and some of the moments David De Gea gave us, um, very rare for a goalkeeper, but he did provide those. So um, all the best to Spanish Dave, and um, I'll be interested to see where he ends up. Look, and to wrap up the podcast today, look, the way we started in regards, we did officially get the here we go from Fabrizio Romano that Andre Onana has agreed terms with Manchester United and the deal is sorted between Man United and Inter Milan. Fingers crossed by the time you listen to this, we have had an official announcement and he's set to go on tour. But um, Andre Onana, um, I think we're all familiar. Um, it's a game we don't want to sort of remember, but we did all sort of tune into the Champions League final to see if City could potentially sort of bottle it. They unfortunately didn't. They did put one past Andre Onana through no fault of his own. But we did all watch that game, and the standout thing from that match was not Manchester City winning the treble. The talking point after it was Onana and his performance on the ball, and there's no doubt he's like a number six. He's like a sort of comfortable midfielder playing in goals. Now, a huge part of being a Manchester United goalkeeper will be what, what you do with your hands when the other team has a shot, and that's up to him to, to prove how good he is there. Now, obviously, he's obviously a good goalkeeper. Eric Ten Hag's not going to bring someone in who can't catch a ball. But um, obviously, the huge strength or the, the huge visible strength we do see from him is the way he is going to control and sort of provide an outlet in terms of when we're playing out from the back, which we simply didn't have 
under David De Gea. So, so he's going to transform the way we play. As I said, not a hesitancy of mine, but in terms of where I will show patience and sort of an understanding in regards to everyone thinks this is going to sort of make us title challenges and make us win trophies in terms of where you play out from the back. My priority simply is we need someone who can score goals. Yes, this might sort of prolong our attacks and, and keep more sustained attacks going forward, I, I agree, but we still need a striker to score goals, but that is not Onana's job. Onana's job is to save the ball and to help us play out from the back in terms of his ability, he, he looks unreal now, he will give us some heart attacks there's no doubt about that, we do look at what Fabian Bartes did and and what that was like for our health, and I think Andre Onana is going to do that, if not more um, I think you could very well see him on halfway against Wolves, trying to step over a rainbow flick and go past a play now, he's going to make a, a huge clangor at some stage it's probably going to happen very early in his time at Old Trafford unfortunately, but it's probably a good thing maybe like a band-aid, just get it over and done with just rip it straight off and when he does make that mistake, uh, Manchester United fans need to get behind him because, as Gary Neville alludes to, and as I mentioned once or twice in this episode, there is no harder position in world football than Manchester United's number one. Um, the scrutiny will be there. The, the knives will be up from fans and media, and um, he does need our support because I think he will be a great goalkeeper for Manchester United, but um, it's going to take time. It's going to take patience and understanding from the fans. There are going to be mistakes. But we have to place full faith in Eric Ten Hag and Andre Onana's ability. So I'm happy Onana's come in um, to replace David De Gea. I think it's an exciting one. Usually goalkeepers don't bring excitement, but um, when a goalkeeper can do that, um, we only live once, so we might as well enjoy it. So I'm very happy with Onana's arrival. Fingers crossed he can go into that discussion of David De Gea, Edwin van der Sar, and Peter Schmeichel. But um, do let me know what you think of the goalkeeping sort of history at Manchester United, so to speak, and um, what you thought of the episode. Um, if you did like it, please do leave a like or rating, whatever your podcast app does allow. That's um, very appreciative of me. And um, Larry, and um, as I said, if you do need a little bit more daily content, head over to YouTube. Um, just type in United Pubcast and you can see us discussing whatever. Well, obviously, we'll discuss the official announcement, see all the photos, etc. when Onana is there. But obviously, all your match previews, reviews, transfer news, etc. Um, they'll be great. But um, hopefully, everyone did enjoy that. And um, we'll chat to you soon. Cheers. <laughs>